Hey guys, tonight on California Haunts Radio, we're going to talk about the history and traditions of Thanksgiving. We're going to go all the way back to the time of the pilgrims, and we're going to get to see what they actually had on their Thanksgiving table. And then we're going to look at what we have on our Thanksgiving tables and uh, talk about that and add some more, you know, history discussion about what went down after Thanksgiving and how it built up to what it is now. See you in about a minute. Grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? Welcome to California Haunts Radio. My name is Charlotte. Let me get my buttons pushed here. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. Okay, I got the right one. Uh, I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. Let me do some. Just kind of tweak a little bit. I'm a little hard of hearing, so I have to tweak things here. Okay, okay. There you go. See, I played with the volume. I hope I'm not too loud for you guys. I don't want to blast you out either. At the same time, you might hear my fifteen-year-old uh, dog in the background. He um, he gets a little senile in the evening, so uh, he likes to yell a lot and complain. A lot of people do. <laughs> so uh, just ignore that. It's just him being him. Anyway, welcome again. Uh, you know, my, my my team is based out of Sacramento, but we are forty-five strong up and down the state of California. Uh, where that means if you have a paranormal need. We're in, we're in as many counties, you know, access-wise. Uh, it might take us a couple days because California is a lot of in a lot bigger state than people think it is. Um, like Hawaii, we have our beaches, right? We have our surfers. But we also have a, have a cold area up north. You know, not really horribly cold. I'm not going to say that because people will start sending me nasty emails. But we do have an area up north and... Uh, where we got a lot of mountains, and we've also got the Sierra Nevada mountains. We got a couple of mountain ranges, and uh, we also have deserts and high deserts, and we have a lot of farmland, a lot of rural areas, and that's why you know even though we might be located uh, in or near a big city or a decent city, it, it might take us a couple of days to get you. And in that case, if there is uh, paranormal issues going on in your home or office, uh, one of our psychics will call, and call. In most cases, they can calm things down until we can get out there. It usually doesn't take more than two or three days for us to get out to a location, right? Okay, uh, if you're watching from Facebook today, and a lot of you are, please uh, be sure to hit that follow button if you haven't done so already. Uh, and also, leave us some comments. You know, Leave us some comments during the show. And uh, give me some thumbs up if, if you feel like it, smiley faces, hearts. Because what that does is that puts us higher in, in Facebook's FYP. And that means the computer looks at us and it, and it, it puts us out to more people. Okay, it spreads us out more. That's the same thing with YouTube. If you haven't subscribed already, please feel free to subscribe. It doesn't cost anything. I'm also very active on the community page over there. Uh, we have over 800 videos that of all kinds of topics, everything you can think of, like tonight, Thanksgiving, right? We're kind of varying off our usual topic list. But uh, see, you can hear them back there. 
But uh, yeah, all kinds of topics. If you're into uh, medium Nancy mats, she's got her own folder over there because I started to put everything under folders. If you're into UFOs, UAPs, uh, alien abductions, we got that. You know, so you name it, cryptids, it's over there. So check out those folders. You know, it gives you a good way to peruse the folders. Same thing over there too. Um, if you want to participate in this discussion tonight, fantastic. Uh, that helps us with the FYP on YouTube. And same thing, those thumbs up, those happy faces, those likes, that that does help us, okay? All right, so that being said, you can find California Haunts Radio and California Haunts over at Facebook. And you can also find us under Sacramento Sears, which is S-E-E-R-S, and my, my own name, of course. Uh, I am on Instagram under Ghosty Gal, that's all lowercase. We're over at TikTok under California Haunts. We're on, uh, we are on... Um, remember these things twitter at california haunts we are at twitch i believe under cal haunts and we're also on meetup under california haunts paranormal investigation team as well our uh, youtube address is youtube.com forward slash at california haunts radio today's topic i've been thinking about this last couple thanksgivings i'm really into tradition into traditions and i've i've done a lot of research for christmas and this is why christmas eve and my friends that 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 share Christmas Eve with me and my mother and everybody else know that I do a fondue every Christmas every you know every Christmas Eve and it's because you know I did a lot of research in the Swiss you know uh, tradition which to me would be a really cool Christmas tradition because Swiss right you know because all this stuff came over from Europe right all this all these traditions came over from Europe um the Swiss tradition is to have fondue and so I decided to try to do that and I've been doing it every year for the past 10-15 years so I got to thinking, you know, as I said at Thanksgiving dinner with my family, I got to thinking about, I'm looking at the food, you know, that was served. And there's always one dish that my mother made that was really, really good. Now, I'm not saying that all her stuff wasn't good because it was good. Okay. Plus she had help from the family, but there was always one dish in particular that she made that was good. And we as kids try to make this and we, we, we come close, we come close, you know, and so sometimes we hit it. The nail on the head. I've, I've done it a couple of times with it. My sister's really good at it. My sister, my sister's an excellent cook. So is my brother-in-law. My brother, my brother was a chef. But uh, it's this jello salad thing that my mother did. And it was a mixed uh, fruit jello salad. And it, and it incorporates sour cream and whipped cream and and strawberries and all this stuff. And it's just, it's just, it's just the mixture is just terrific. And my mother used to make this. And so we always make it a point to make it on thanksgiving and my mother's been gone what three or four years now and we're still making it on thanksgiving and that's a that's something that you know came over that's traditional to our family is that particular dish uh one year there's a great story coming out of that my father did not like fish period hated fish doesn't matter what it was you know and one of our neighbors had gone trout fishing and brought us a bunch of trout and i decided because at that time I was going through this thing where I didn't like turkey and uh, it annoyed my dad. I, you know, they always have to buy me a, a, a Cornish hen because I, you know, because I just wasn't into turkey at all. And this year I said, no, 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 don't get the hen. I want to eat the trout. So my mother made the trout. My mother making fish. My mother was good at frying catfish and doing things like that. But when it came to things like trout and stuff like that, it was kind of hit or miss and, this particular year, she decided to leave the heads on the trout. And so it came to the table nicely cooked and the eyes were still, <laughs> the heads were on, the eyes were still there. And uh, 
I was sitting right next to my dad, and so she lowers, she puts this thing down. It was really good though. I mean, it had herbs. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was really great, real tasty. My father had a fit, and I mean, there was a massive explosion, and he, he never let me forget it. Let's just put it that way. And uh, yeah, it, it was a big, big row over this trout that I had for Thanksgiving. And you know, when I think back on it, and, and we're going to talk about this, we're going to talk about the the first sharing that the pilgrims had with the Native Americans tonight. Um, probably that trout was the closest thing to the actual thing the actual feast that the pilgrims had, you know, with the Native Americans. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Because a lot of the foods that we're eating now that are sitting on our, our dining room tables are not what they ate back then, okay? Because sugar was almost non-existent. And I'm sorry today, my nose is stuffed. I'm out of allergy pills. I'm waiting to get my allergy pills towards the end of the week. Ugh. Waiting on some cash, get some allergy pills, and... Uh, so I'm stuck with allergies. But a lot of the stuff that's on our Thanksgiving day ta table now is not what they had. And there was a shortage of stuff. I mean, you got to figure these pilgrims had just come over. Okay, they had maybe a few things on, you know, on the boats with them. But there really wasn't a lot on the boats with them. And so when you think about sugar and you think about things like that, that was non-existent. You know, or, or, or they didn't want to use it up on just one meal, right? So we're going to get into that. Um, I found an article. I'm going to be referring to an article. I might be reading out of it as well, you know, once, once every little while. at Smithsonian Magazine, where they really looked at the history of, of, of the food. And from what I understand in this article, uh, the historian, you know, did all the research. It was, uh, the article was from, in fact, let me tell you. Let me tell you about this article. Let me open this up so I can. Okay, so this thing was written in 2011, November 21st, 2011. And there's a lot of confusion. There's been a lot of confusion about Thanksgiving. A lot. And in fact, okay, before I go any further, let's just do this. By Megan Gambino, senior editor, November 21st, 2011. So we're not, so I'm not going to step on any toes. Uh, let me go back now. Get back to you guys. Okay, there's been a lot of confusion about what the pilgrims ate. You know, there was a lot of stories. In fact, I, I found a National Geographic article as well that Completely had a different take on this, but Miss but Miss Gambino uh, and uh, and this woman Catherine Wall did a lot of research on it, and so there's quotes in here that I'm going to be reading to you from one of the gentlemen that was actually at the Thanksgiving because he kept a diary, and so this this gave Miss Wall and I a pretty good idea of, of of what they were able to eat, you know, and what what was there because you got to remember when they landed at Plymouth Rock when when they started at feast, you know start gathering food and, and be with the Native Americans, they didn't even have crops growing yet. It was the Native Americans that had crops. All right. And one of the things I did read last night was that the chances are there wasn't a lot of bread at this thing, at this first meal because there, there was no wheat yet or they hadn't discovered wheat yet. So unless there was cornbread, because of course the, the, uh, the Native Americans obviously probably were growing corn. But the, like I said, at this point in time, the settlers had no idea of that because the Native Americans hadn't started teaching them and showing them the crops that they had planted. So that was probably in short, in short supply as well, you know. So there probably was very little bread, if any, you know, with the meal. And to drink, there was no, you know, there was no way to have beer at this point yet. So they probably all drank water during, you know, during this meal. 
And uh, of course, also, I'm going to just keep referring back to this article because I don't want to get in trouble. I don't. Also, we're talking, you know, yes, there might have been some turkey. All right. But it wasn't the centerpiece. That was not a centerpiece. There was other stuff that, that, they, that they were able to get, like pigeons, uh, you know, pigeons and, and, and you know, just different uh, flying fowl that they were able to hunt down and feast on. And what I'm going to quote right now is we're going to look at this. And I'm going to quote. Let me pop in here and find what I need. And there's a quote in here. And the quote is from, um, let me get this. I just went over it. The quote itself is from Edward Winslow, an English leader who attended. He wrote home to a friend. So let's talk about this quote and what he talks about. So we're going to read this off, give you guys an idea of what he's talking about. Our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling. That so we might, after a special manner, rejoice together after we had gathered the fruit of our labors. They four in one day kill as much fowl as possible, with little help beside, served the company almost a week, at which time, amongst other recreations, we exercised our arms. Many of the Indians, remember this guy's a pilgrim, many of the Native Americans coming amongst us, and among the rest, their greatest king, Massasoit. I hope I got it right. With some 90 men, whom for three days we entertained and feasted. So their Thanksgiving was three days. It wasn't like us just the one evening, three days. And they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon and upon the captain and the others. So already there's a difference there. I mean, you know, already there's a difference. Obviously, we're not eating, you know, we, I mean, maybe people do, but it depends. It depends on your family. Maybe you do have deer, you, know, you serve venison, or you serve some other type of animal, you know, during Thanksgiving other than turkey, you know, so that, that the turkey just isn't your, your centerpiece or the, or the fowl, you know, we're, like I said, we're talking pigeons, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're talking Orioles or whatever else was there that they, uh, the, 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 that they hunted in, in, in used for dinner. So, I mean, already right there is a huge difference. Um, as we get into this, and we're looking through this, William Bradford, the governor Winslow, that, that Winslow mentions, he describes the autumn of 1621, where besides waterfowl, they had a store of wild turkeys. So there you go. Of which they took many besides venison. Okay. And it says, besides, they had about a peck a meal a week to a person, or now since harvested Indian corn to that proportion. See, so they had already learned about Indian corn. But when you think about the Native Americans at that point and their Wampoonag Native Indians, and I, you know, okay, <laughs> I hope I said it right. This woman had to really dig into the research to find out what they were eating at that time, because of course they're not going to eat the same stuff that the uh, colonists are eating, right? So uh, this gal, Kathleen, I think her name is Kathleen Wall. Let me double check the name because I don't want to make like I said, I don't want to make like horrible mistakes here and misquote people. And and yeah, Kathleen Wall. So let's get back down to where I was. Okay. 
Okay. So Kathleen Wall did, did, did a, had to do a bunch of research on this. And she's a food waste cult. She's a food waste culinarian at Pill Mill Plantation, a living history museum in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Now she studies cookbooks and descriptions of gardens from that period. Okay, and you know, as she looks over the the, the archaeological remains, such as pollen samples and that kind of thing. All right, turkey. She talks about turkey, and she says turkey, of course, wasn't the centerpiece. But it is possible colonists and American Indians cook wild turkey. And she thinks goose or duck was the wildfowl of choice at, at that point. Um, she said, and this is a quote directly, in her research, she's found that swan and passenger pigeons would have been available as well. So that's really interesting. And she says that uh, back then, passenger, passenger pigeons, which are extinct now, were all over the place to the point that the colonists had said that if you shot at one in the air, you could kill 200. Take it for what it's worth, right? <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, the way they cooked it was a lot of these birds were, were spit roasted and larger birds were boiled. Now, I've never heard, I've never, maybe it's just that my family never did it. I never heard of boiling a bird. I mean, I do it now for my dogs. You know, like if I'm going to serve them chicken like there's if one of them has an upset stomach and i want to serve them chicken i do that for my dogs right now so i, I will boil but you know up until i started doing that for my dogs it never occurred to me um she thinks you know that she's seen recipes where they were boiled first and then they were roasted to finish them which would make sense because you boil them and they and they, and of course the color stays like 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 raw meat. You know, he says she raw chicken or whatever. And you're going to want to roast them to give them that real nice roast, you know, that that real nice cook look, right? That makes a lot of sense. And again, and and, and that gives them extra flavor too, and kind of caramelizes the outside. It makes the broth darker. Um. She goes on to say that it is possible that that these birds were stuffed. They'll probably not with bread. Okay, like I said, bread made from maize, not wheat, was likely a part of the meal. But exactly how it was made is unknown. So nobody knows how they, the Native Americans would have made the bread. So what they did was they stuffed these birds with chunks of onion and herbs. I do that myself, right? I because I, I tend to eat more more vegan than a lot of people, and so I will. I will put onions and herbs and, you know, and then spread stuff on the top of them and all that good stuff. So that's what they were doing, you know. I'm still fixing my stupid chair. Um, there's a reference, 17th century, that uh, some people used shelled chestnuts to stuff them with. You know, I'm not a fan of chestnuts. I've tried them. I've tried roasted chestnuts. And they, to me, they, they don't taste like anything. So if that's what they did, then more power to them, okay? Anyway, she goes on to say, since the first Thanksgiving was a three-day celebration, there's no doubt whatsoever that the birds are roasted one day, and what's left over is boiled to make chicken broth in a pot. Okay? So that's going to make broth the next day. And then what happens is the broth gets thick when it cools, and they're going to put grain in there to thicken it even more, and then they're going to make a pottage for it. So they can make it last a lot longer, which makes a lot of sense because, you know, they didn't know when their next meal was coming. So they would have to do something to extend the life of this, of this food that they were eating. Now, 
It continues in, you know, in addition to like the, the waterfowl and deer, the colonists and the Native Americans probably ate eels and shellfish, such as lobster, clams, and mussels. That's why when I talk about the trout that I had, I probably wasn't that far off from what they were eating at that first Thanksgiving, right? And uh, according to what she, what, what Miss Wall says, they were drying shellfish and smoking other sorts of fish. So that's kind of cool. Now, according to the culinarian, the Native Americans, like most Eastern Woodlands people, had varied and extremely good diet. Okay, the forest had chestnuts, walnuts, and beech nuts. Um, you know, they grew. Of course, they of course they grew in Indian corn, right? That multicolored stuff. That was pretty much the staple. They also grew beans, which were used, I'm just quoting from the article, which were used when they were small and green until they were mature. They also had different sorts of pumpkins and squashes. Now, this is probably where, you know, and I don't know because uh, who knows what they had over in, in England before the colonists came over, but this is probably where the people over here learned how to make pumpkin soup or, you know, squash soup or utilize utilize all that in, in different ways right so like in school the the native americans of course taught us how to plant those native crops okay and here's a quote directly from wall where she says the english colonists plant gardens in march of 1620 and 1621 we don't know exactly what's in those gardens but in, but in later sources they talk about turnips carrots onions garlic and pumpkins as the sorts of things that they were growing so you know, the longer they were there, the more, and of course it seems to logic, the longer they were there in that area, the more food that they were able to produce, right? So, like she says, you know, to exercise, you know, and think about reimagining what they did in 1621, it's like a process of elimination. You know, you look at what, like she says, you look at what an English celebration in England is at this time. What are the things on the table? You see lots of pies in the first course, and the second course, meat and fish pies. To cook a turkey into a pie wasn't terribly uncommon, but the pastry isn't there for the, pil you know, for the pilgrims because the colonists didn't have butter and wheat flour to make the crust for the pies and tarts. Okay? So they didn't have all that stuff, so pumpkin pies and all that didn't come in until much later and that's what i'm talking about the traditions that started back then and how everything kind of built up you know the the more the colonists had to work with the better the food right and whoever invented the pumpkin pie and and did all that and then you know to, to bring that over from england so the question is what are they putting on the table you know what what is there wall says she thinks it's meat meat and more meat and which makes a lot of sense in itself too yes i'm fixing my chair guys you don't complain but meat without potatoes why because white potatoes originated in south america so sweet potatoes came from the caribbean so they had not come over to north america at that point okay no cranberry sauce and according to wall it'd be another 50 years before an englishman wrote about boiling cranberries with sugar okay so it was meat. Now, I talked about the drink earlier when we first started, how they probably ended up drinking water with the meal. According to Wall, if there was beer, okay, 
There was probably only a couple of gallons for 150 people for three days. Wall thinks that to wash it all down, the English and the Native Americans drank water. Now, Thanksgiving, okay, now, now we're going to jump ahead a little bit, okay, because that's the food they had. So you can already see huge differences in the evolution of, of, of what we have on our table today. Also, as a holiday, it didn't really take root until the mid-19th century. Okay, back to Edward Winslow's letter, printing a pamphlet called Mort's Relation and Governor Bradford's manuscript titled a Plymouth Plantation, were rediscovered and published. Boston clergyman Alexander Young printed Winslow's letter in his Chronicles of the Pilgrim Fathers. Okay, And in the footnotes to the resurrected letter, he kind of declares the feast the first Thanksgiving. Now, Wall and others, and I'm quoting, again, I'm quoting the article, Wall and others at Plymouth Plantation prefer to call it the Harvest Celebration. So, it was probably called, more than likely, they were, like, like she says, that they, they were celebrating harvest. And it wasn't Thanksgiving at that point. Because there's a lot of build-up to this. And, and, and like, our government, get, you know, the, the presidents of the United States and stuff getting involved in this. Abraham Lincoln was involved in making it a national holiday. Okay? So, um, like this says, Wall and others at Plymouth Plantation prefer to call it the harvest celebration. Uh, there was nostalgia for colonial times. And by the late 1850s, most states and territories were celebrating Thanksgiving at that point. Um, moving on forward, uh, Sarah Joseph Hale, and this is a quote from the magazine, editor of the popular women's magazine, uh, Goldie's Ladies Book, was a leading voice in establishing Thanksgiving as an annual event, beginning in 1827. Hale petitioned 13 presidents, the last of whom was Abraham Lincoln. And like I said, she pitched her idea to President Lincoln as a way to unite the country in the midst of a civil war. And in 1863, he made Thanksgiving a national holiday. Abraham Lincoln did. Um, throughout her campaign, Hale printed Thanksgiving recipes and menus in this, in, in this Gotti's, I guess Gotti's Ladies Book. She also published close to a dozen cookbooks. So at this point, that, that that this uh, this writer writes, you know, she's really planting this in the in the heads of women that this is something they should want to do. So this is how it's, it's evolving now. So it's starting to evolve into where we're at today. Um, let me move on here. Okay, so the, yeah, that's where the article ends. This is how it evolves and what it is today. I find it interesting when you do look back on this stuff and. Let's talk about stuff. In fact, I want you guys, I'm going to blow this up so I can see your comments, okay? How's that? Let me get in here and take a look-see. Okay. So tell me, guys. I mean, you know, you got your families, my family, like I told you guys about the Jello. Okay? I told you guys about the Jello. What is something in your families that... Okay, got it. What is something in your families? That is something that you have had for Thanksgiving for years and years. I know my family being Mexican, right? There's tamales. We always had, you know, somebody always had tamales. Not so much in my house, but if we went visiting cousins or we went to my aunt's house or whatever, there was a, there were always tamales because that was traditional. 
you know, to, to put in there, you know, things you carry over for the for this holiday. Show, you know, if you if you guys have any foods, Jerry, I know you're a cook. I know you're a chef. Let's see, you know, what kind of things is is traditional to your family? You know, tell me. Come on, join the conversation. So we're gonna look at the confusing part of this. The confusing part of this is that. You know, Miss Wall obviously is the historian for that particular plantation, but there—I mean, there's so many different versions of what they thought that they ate. Because, like, like I said, there, there's no record of of what was eaten during during that first Thanksgiving. And so, uh, like the reader, the Reader's Digest article that I found says that it's just it's just a bunch of bunch of records. In fact, I'm going to call that article up, and you can see the differences in what you know. Um, let me pop in there and I'll call it up right now. There it is. And there's just a lot of differences of what was, you know, done. Oh, it's making me do this. And I did this last night already. May not get to do this. Let me do this and get this over. Hang on. It always wants my email address and Every time I go in there and I do it like all the time. So let me give me a second. Make sure I do it right so they don't, I can't see it. So give me a second. They did this to me last time when I was trying to read this. It was really irritating. Don't you hate it when they do that? Okay. All right, let me add my article, boys. Here we go. Okay, so this is written. This is readers. This is by um, Emily Martin, and so we're going to go ahead and look at this. Published November twenty third, twenty twenty one. So this is a more recent article. So she says that she starts the article with, you know, of course, uh, Thanksgiving is every fourth Thursday of November. Americans gather around tables covered in turkey and all the fixes. Okay, you know, five K race. But she, you know, she says that's not how Thanksgiving evolved from a much, okay, from a much mythologized 1621 harvest feast shared by the pilgrims and the Native Americans to a post-Civil War era patriotic and religious gathering to the modern holiday focused on good food and spending time with family. So she says, and I quote, and this is from the article, historians first considered the first Thanksgiving to have taken place in 1621. When the you know when the Mayflower Pilgrims who founded the Plymouth Colony in Massachusetts sat down for a three-day meal with the Native Americans, however, the meal wasn't the meaningful symbol of peace that it later portrayed to be. Rather, it was likely just a routine English harvest celebration. So that takes us back to the term harvest celebration. So again, this is where she's as she gets into talking about this. You know, being confusing because you know everybody, everybody's just kind of guessing on you know on this, on this stuff. So I'm kind of leaning towards the gal, you know, the historian at the plantation for her information about this. But she says um, in 1841, Boston publisher Andrew Young printed a book containing a letter. Okay, back to Winslow. So so they're back to quoting the, this thing we we read from Winslow. And this is what she said, and she goes on to say, okay. But the reason for that first feast was not a happy one, and the relationship between the pilgrims and the Native Americans was fraught. When the pilgrims first arrived in 1620, they were unprepared and had little food. So they robbed corn from the Native American 
It's graves and storehouses. This is the stuff you don't hear in school, right? Uh, and it also goes on to say, 1621, the Native Americans heard the Pilgrims shooting off guns, which historians believe worried the Native Americans that war was underway. King Masawit sent 90 men to investigate before realizing the Pilgrims were in mid-celebration. The Native Americans then hunted deer meat and joined in the festivities. Anyway, it goes, they have their meal, they have their peaceful meal, and then this goes on to say, and this is some of the stuff you don't hear in history, right? When we're in school, you know, we're, when we're making our headdresses, we're doing all this, especially when I was in school. And you, they, they tell you about the feast. What I don't remember ever being talked about is the after effect of all this. And this goes on to say the newfound peace between the pilgrims and the pilgrims. Between the pilgrims and the Native Americans was driven largely by tribe and trade rivalries. According to Anne McMullen, curator of the National Museum of the American Indian, who says that the Native Americans realized an alliance with the pilgrims could fortify their strength. But this food historian, Sarah Wasper Johnson, says the peace didn't last long, right? And we've heard about this. By 1637, the detente between the pilgrims and the Indians had disintegrated and the pilgrims started a decades-long war with their indigenous neighbors. Ultimately, the colonists massacred the local tribes, including the, the, including the Wanapangong. I don't know how to say that. So that happened. And, you know, that's just part of history, and I'm not going to get into the, you know, how we're pushing the Native Americans out. It's, it's not, I'm not, this is not a political gig, but this is what happened after the Thanksgiving occurred, you know, the first Thanksgiving. So, like, the article goes on to talk about how uh, Thanksgiving has changed in meaning. You know, the original tradition in England was days of Thanksgiving typically were marked by religious services to give thanks to God or to celebrate a bountiful harvest. And uh, the first recorded religious Thanksgiving Day in Plymouth took place a full two years after the original feast, which is kind of interesting. It celebrated the end of a two-month drought. A two-month drought. Interesting. And see what I'm seeing here. Uh, it was delivered or declared by governors and priests. And that's how they, they declared. George Washington frequently declared days of Thanksgiving. So you know, it goes back in the political thing where it goes to Abraham Lincoln, and then it gets to the point where they actually make it a national holiday. Okay. Um, it says after the Civil War, the holiday became imbued with nostalgia for the for the mythological founding of American Plymouth Rock. The true story of the Pilgrims and Native Americans was not widely recorded or even accessible. So stories of the, benevol the benevolent Pilgrims conquering and founding the uh, the country were being passed off as history. Johnson said, "Okay, history." So. I agree with that, you know, in that if you remember, I don't know how old you are when you went to school, but I don't remember hearing stories about the massacres that, that, that happened at, you know, after the meal. I, I don't remember any of that. All I remember is that they, you know, we were making our paper stuff and, and, and having our, having our little foods and stuff during, you know, to learn about Thanksgiving. So I don't remember any of that part of that history. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I fell asleep. I don't know. Anyway, maybe I wasn't paying attention at the time, but. I don't remember, you know, I don't remember hearing about that stuff. 
Um, so I'm one of those people that was left in the dark, I guess, over, over this. So it's interesting to really get into this and read how everything developed, you know. Um, it looks like Theodore Roosevelt at some point created a Thanksgiving date, and it ended up being confusing for Americans. In 1941, the U.S. Congress passed a joint resolution establishing the last Thursday in November as Thanksgiving Day. And so for everybody who celebrates now, the holiday, you know, that's when everybody gathers. Okay. And the dog is screaming. So again, we go back to looking at the food from the original Thanksgiving, and you're looking at venison, corn, shellfish, cornmeal, beans, nuts, dried berries, pumpkin, and of course, turkey. Um, Native Americans likely hunted and served wild fowl, like we're talking about geese, duck, and turkey. Um, It's unclear. Like they say, if the turkey was roasted, uh, braised, or boiled in a large kettle at the harvest gathering, like the methods of cooking that were uh, recorded later. But it's likely the remains of whatever birds were roasted one day and were thrown. Yeah, this makes sense, too. I mean, everybody does this, right? You, you, you roast the bird, you throw them in a pot, and you end up to make broth. Turkey broth the next day, similar to gravy. Everybody does this. You end up with turkey broth, right? You eat turkey broth for days. And how about this? The custom of snap. Uh, this is from National Geographic article. Snapping that wishbone, right? Bringing back to the person who gets the larger half can be traced back to the Romans. I didn't know that either. So you learn something every day. And it was certain. It was a well-established tradition in England by the time the Pilgrims brought it to, to America. So I learned that last night. So now we're going to jump down a little bit again. We were we wanted to see. You know, this show was about how that menu evolves. So we're going to jump down to see what the National Geographic says about this. And they're saying it's likely that they had stuffing at the, at the feast, as evidenced by old colonial cookbook recipes. So it was called puddings in the belly. And they typically added herbs, hardened egg yolks, um, grated bread, cream, raisins or currants, sugar, spices, and nuts. However, it says the traditional method of cooking stuffing in the bird may not have been used because using a spit did not have, did not lead to even cooking. Makes sense. And plus, you use a spit. Now think about this: if you're using a spit, how's the stuffing going to stay in there? You have to seal it in there somehow. So that makes sense to me. Pumpkin pie, and you know we we talked about the pies earlier. How they probably didn't weren't able to make the pies. Uh, Native Americans introduced pilgrims to the gourd. I'm quoting from the article. So it's likely that pilgrims ate boiled pumpkin, which is what I said, with seasonings at the first Thanksgiving. Since since then, and because they required flour, sugar, molasses, and that was not available. So, um, yeah. But they're saying jelly cranberry sauce wasn't available either. We talked about that because of the scarcity of sugar. But but uh, but berry of course grew wild. I mean, it grows wild now. You can go berry picking by the ocean in a lot of places. So they could have mashed the berry, you know, like the berries, you know, whether it's blueberries or blackberries, they could have probably mashed that in the sauces. So they might have had that.
so it's very interesting to see and then do a compare and contrast. Now I know I have family that comes from that comes from England as well, and we have I have had English style stuffing as well at Thanksgiving, you know, for a few years in a row. So it's it's interesting to see how it is. Now here's a lady in 1827 who wrote a novel called Northwood, and she described a meal of roast turkey with stuffing and gravy, and she ended up printing recipes for pumpkin pie. Well, this is the lady, that lady we talked about earlier that was pushing the Thanksgiving stuff. So she, yeah, she actually talks about that. And it says here, after a brief period in the 20th century, Victorian passion for elegance changed Thanksgiving menus to include French cuisine and foods that modern technology made available, like ice cream and oysters. Okay. So it's interesting, and you know, there, you know, it says that here Thanksgiving was also associated with regional dishes from New England, where the Pilgrims made their home. They're far from the only foods that grace the table, you know. And this I agree with. This is why I was asking you guys, what graces your table? I mean, Mars is pretty much that Jello pudding, right? But uh, some families will also have macaroni and cheese at Thanksgiving. That's that's a big center, you know, front and center at these holiday tables. You know, and then you got tamales, you got um, indigenous dishes, maybe masa wrapper leaves or husks. And like it says, uh, today most uh, Americans finish off the meal with a slice of pie, which may be sweet potato or pecan if you're in the South, or with a dollop of whipped cream. So it's interesting to see how this has evolved and um, how people use, you know, embrace their traditions. And I had a really good time reading over, you know, going through this stuff because, you know, when you think back to the traditional food, when I ended up getting diagnosed with heart failure, that was something I I, I looked at was was traditional Native American stuff. Um, because I wanted to get out, get away from the salt right away, you know, and uh, I was either going to go vegan, or I was, you know, I made the decision to either go vegan or try Native American dishes, you know, using acorn and things like that to make to make my food less salty. And I did for a while. And I did that and then I then I kind of leaned more vegan with it. But I did do that. And I remember my doctor looking at me saying, Well, before you try anything, make sure you run it by me so you don't kill it. <laughs> you don't make things worse. But I did try some cooking some Native American dishes to compensate for my high blood pressure and stuff. And it worked out pretty well. So, like I said, it's interesting to go back and, and see what the traditions were. Just like I said, I had no idea about the massacres. I don't, I don't think they taught us that in school, at least my generation. I don't remember that stuff. Maybe, Marisa, maybe you remember it. I don't remember that stuff, right? So, that, that was all new to me to learn all that stuff today. And uh, I hate to say it, but I mean, that's... And I love history. Grew up on eating... Okay. Jerry grew up on eating pheasant, turkey, and, and ham. Or, yeah, absolutely. I forgot about pheasant. That's true. There were pheasants. You know? I, I Yeah, I forgot about the pheasant. So, yeah, everybody has their traditions on what they grow up eating. And it's, it's interesting to look into that. Um, so I just wanted to share this stuff with you. I kinda, I'm kind of getting into this whole tradition thing this year. And, again, tomorrow, you know, I've got that book that, we're, that I'm going to be starting. And... That's another tradition thing. That book was written in 19, I believe it was 1908. So you're going to get a lot of oldie traditions for, about Christmas. And it's going to be interesting to read. 
So I love looking back on that stuff because some of that stuff is still, you know, again, looks like with Thanksgiving, some of that stuff is still done today. You know, and some of the stuff you can still go ahead and go back and, and do it and, and and do it today. So that's what makes it kind of cool to, to, to have the to, to bring those traditions forward, right? But uh, Thanksgiving has always been fascinating to me because of the food. And, and you could see, like today, and what we looked at, how the food has evolved over the years. And, you know, what's interesting is you can still go back with what was listed on, those, on that information. And you can still go back and apply that today if you want. I mean, nothing says you can't do that. I mean, I, you know, I, it'd be kind of interesting to do that. We really have, oh, look at the comments here. What are we going to have? Fashion red. Oh, yeah, red bean salad. I remember that. See, that's one of your things. You still make it every year. That's what I'm talking about. The traditions like that, that, that we still make every year. Um, you know, and if, if you know what would be kind of fun in a way, and to try is to make that first meal that they had is, is and just actually actually have it on the table to see what it was like and what it tasted like at the you know to do that for for a thanksgiving meal that would be an interesting thing to do because i'd like to do things like that as well but yeah every family has traditions uh the macaroni and cheese thing surprised me i mean i never Figured macaroni and cheese would be like a like a staple, diehard thing during Thanksgiving. Good to know. Good to know. But I hope you guys learned a little bit out of this. You know, um, I've been wanting to do a show like this for a while, and I'm really looking forward to reading that book tomorrow about Christmas. You know, to hear hear the traditions from Germany and England and France and Switzerland and all those places. And I, I just find I find that history, any kind of history, absolutely fascinating. Right. Um. So let me know, Marisa, your, your family had traditions. Was it tamales or what, what, what did your mother make? Pamela, what's her tradition in your house? What's her tradition in your house? You know, everybody has her traditions. You know, watered chestnuts, I've done that. Like I said, I've, I've, I've had roasted chestnuts. Wasn't very impressed by them. I'm not a chestnut fan. But I can kind of see people putting them in like a turkey, like, like we described, you know, for flavoring. It's a little crunchy, right? Um, you know, and again, I lost out for years because I wasn't a big turkey fan. And so now I am. Now that I'm making the turkey, you know, and stuff, I'm really getting into turkey. Oh, bread pudding. Oh, that's cool. Yes. You know what else, too? I just forgot about that. My dad loved mince pie. I could never get into mince pie. You know, I was not a mince pie person. My dad was a mince pie person, so he had mince pie every year. And I don't know if anybody ever made fresh ones for him. But I know my father had to have his mince pie for the holidays. Now, me, I'm a pecan pie person. I love pecan pie. I like pumpkin pie, but I like pecan pie. So I, I, I was a pecan pie person. But my dad was a mince pie, and I forgot about that. Mince meat has been a staple of the holidays, even over in England. I mean, mince, you know, in their stores where they would sell mince, you know, mince pies and things like that, that is a staple from... It, from the old countries, you know, and all that, that, that was brought over. So, yeah, I agree with that. I see that, you know, and, uh, let's see, Jerry, we're popping up with all kinds of comments. See, now you guys are coming alive on me. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, I love pecan pie. I can sit there and eat that all day. 
Mince pie, yeah. See, so a lot of people like mince pie. I'm a pecan pie. Jerry, I'll have to taste some of your pecan pie. Jerry's an excellent cook. I'll tell you that right now. I've had her stuff. Great cook. Yeah, I love pecan pie. Love it. Um, and mince pie, I, I, never, I don't think I've ever tasted a mince pie. Don't think I've ever tasted it. But my dad, that was my dad's staple. He had to have his mince pie every year. Every year, without fail. You know, so there's, there's things like that. Now, my mother was a pumpkin person. She liked her pumpkin pie. But uh, I wanted to share this stuff with you. And I, I hope you enjoyed today. I know I read off some stuff. You know, all those facts. Just the facts, ma'am. Yeah. But uh, I, I wanted to make sure I was accurate in what I was saying. And I wanted to show you guys, you know, the differences in different articles. Because like what I read saying that, you know, that for a long time there was a lot of debate about what was eaten at that first Thanksgiving. Or, or the harvest celebration, right? Because the food was definitely different because they didn't have everything. And that must have been hard. I mean, think about it. You you come over from England, you've got sugar, you've got flour, you've got all those supplies. You come over here and you don't have that stuff to, to use for cooking. So now you're going to be struggling trying to figure out what you can improvise with to fill in for that. You know, no butter, no nothing. No cows, right? No cows. Excuse me. Unless you got goats, no cows, right? There's no cows, I mean, no butter, no milk. All right, Jerry, I'm going to take you up on that for a pecan pie. I'll tell you right now. I am a pecan pie fiend. But yeah, I mean, just think about that. You know, you leave your country. It's like us, it's like us packing up and, and moving on to an island somewhere where, well, you know, where, where none of that's there. And so we have to start over and figure out crops and do all that stuff. And that's what they were doing. Granted, on an island, you might have coconut trees. At least you'd have milk, right? But, I mean, when they came over here, they didn't have that stuff. So, yeah. That's why they had what they had. So it was pretty cool. You know? But there are traditions. Every family has a tradition. And I remember, oh, I remember the other kind of um, stuff at my aunt's house and stuff that they, I had one aunt in particular that would make that jello. Uh, thing with, with the little uh, marshmallows. Remember that stuff? I forget what that one's called. But I remember those. I remember those. But I always liked my mom's better because I wasn't a big marshmallow person. So I always really enjoyed my mother's food That you know, as far as that jello went. She was really good at that jello. The other thing my grandmother was good at was pineapple upside down cake. My mother learned that from my grandmother. And I remember before about three years, two years before my mother died, I finally broke down to make some. And I remember I took it over to her and I said, look, mom, I made your pineapple upside down cake. What do you think? And she took a bite and kind of looked funny at me. And she goes, I think it's great. Now, did she say that because she was my mother or did she say that because I actually was able to pull it off and, and make a good pineapple upside down cake? I still make it to this day. I love pineapple upside down cake. Um, yeah, so... You know, I have I say I have not attempted. I mean, I, I do. I have attempted the Jello. It turned out. It turned out really good. But there's other things that my mother used to make because my father was Hungarian. So uh, when you talk about traditional food, my in, in my house is a traditional cookbook for Hungarian food, and my mother was very good at it. And I have yet to do it. My, my brother used to make it. I have yet to attempt Hungarian food. You know, making and that you know that entails making my own noodles and, and all that stuff. And that, that scares me to have to get the noodle machine, which there is a noodle machine, to make my own noodles. 
and things like that. But um, and I grew up on chicken and done, you know, what they called at that time, Hungarian chicken paprika, paprikas chicken, which is chicken and dumplings. Excellent. My mother never made the dumplings like little dumplings like they do in restaurants. Uh, my mother used to make these dumplings that look like little baseballs. <laughs> they were really, really good. And I grew up on stuffed peppers. I grew up on stuffed cabbage. No goulash, but stuffed peppers and stuffed cabbage and the chicken with dumplings. That was huge in my house. So that's the stuff I grew up on. I grew up on Mexican food too, but my dad, you know, being my dad, liked the Hungarian food as well. You know, oh, sausages. The man loved to have what he called virschlis, which are hot dogs. Um, and, or he would have kielbasa or whatever. He loved his sausages too. You know, and I wasn't a real big fan of, of flavored sausages at all. So, I mean, I grew up in a very open environment food-wise. There was Mexican. My brother, my brother was a chef. He worked at several, you know, he was a chef at several restaurants here in town. And he was also a Japanese chef. He knew how to make sushi. So I grew up in that world, too. You know, having sushi and things like that. Fresh sushi. So I have a very wide taste for food and different palates and stuff that I ate over the years. Um, I wish I could cook like that. Never tried, but uh, maybe someday. Maybe someday I'll sit down and try to cook. You know, and do that stuff with the Hungarian food, but never tried it, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's been a fun talk. Let's see what we got here. <laughs> All right, guys. But uh, I, I'm happy this went as smooth as it did. I didn't know how smooth it was going to go today. And my chair is still squeaking, and I swear to God, I'm going to get it fixed. I swear I am. I swear I am. I'm thinking this Christmas, I, you know, because I do, I used to do, towards the end after my mother retired and my father retired, I was the one that took over the baking, you know, here for Christmas. So I would, do, you know, I was, I was making the gingerbread. I was doing this and, and this and that. And, the, and my mother had a great banana bread recipe too. That was the other thing. Wow. Really good banana bread. So um, I took over the baking. I learned how to make her banana bread. I learned how to make fudge. That's one thing I could make is really good fudge. I'm, for whatever reason, I can make the best fudge in the world. Hands down. And I'm not just saying that because I made it. It's good fudge. So I'm good at making that. You know, uh, gingerbread. But banana bread I'm good at. You know, cookies, uh, of course. You know, different types of cookies. You see, my, you, you see the recipes I found for peanut butter cookies and all that. But... Uh, I'm good at certain things, and then there's other things that I'm not so great at, but uh, I'm proud. You know, I learned, I, I watched my brother, I watched my sister, and I watched my mother, you know, cook stuff, and, and I, I learned pretty good, you know, and, and with this diet that I'm on, you know, for my low sodium, I have a low sodium cookbook that I use, and I've, I've become pretty good with that, too, because I, I make all my own marinades and all that stuff with it, too, so, yeah, and I do do Thanksgiving meals. I do cook turkey. I make my own turkeys. And uh, I got pretty good at that the last few years. I made my first turkey, I think, three years ago. Three or four years ago, I made the, my, my first turkey. Never made turkey up to that point in my life. But it turned out pretty good. It turned out pretty good. Okay, um, tomorrow's show again. We'll be back at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. I'm going to be reading from that Christmas Traditions book. And it should be an interesting read because, like I said, it was written in 1908. So you're going to get the really, really traditional stuff, you know, how these different countries celebrate Christmas at that time. 
So it, it should be, uh, like I said, an interesting read tomorrow. On Thursday, Karen Clark will be with us to talk about Titanic and do some reads of, you know, uh, uh, on the boat. Well, of the, you know, you know what I mean. And do some reads on the boat and the water surrounding the boat. So that should be an interesting show as well. And then Friday, of course, Nancy Matz is going to be with us. And we're going to be talking about de depression in children. And that's going to be what's going on Friday. So I just wanted to sit down with you guys and do this. And uh, I appreciate you all coming. I really do. And thank you for participating in the conversation. You know, that's the key of this. Come join the conversation. And I think we did a pretty good job of it. So I want to, again, thank you all. And I'm going to cut off early tonight because I have to go make some dinner and do some. Uh, I've actually got a meditation class coming up at 745 that i got to prepare for. So uh, I'm, I'm running on empty right now trying to get things accomplished. So thank you guys so much for coming tonight. I really appreciate it. And I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a great evening. And Jerry, I'm going to hold you to the pecan pie thing. See ya.